One of the coolest things about starting up this channel has undoubtedly been the people it's allowed us to meet and me personally. It's been a while since I've done an interesting facts video, and this is a really special one for you all today. I want to give a huge shout out to Coutinho, who runs the Brazilian version of our channel for setting up an exclusive interview with Gilbert Burns himself. So on this video today, that means you'll not just hear from me about the research we put in, but then from Gilbert himself about the extraordinary career and life that he has lived. So without further ado, let's jump right into this one. I'm Jason from MMA on Point, and these are 10 interesting facts about Gilbert Burns. Number 10, family and upbringing. Gilbert Alexander Pontius Burns was born on July 20th, 1986 in Nitsuroi, Rio de Janeiro. He has two brothers, one of which is well-known to MMA fans, Herbert Burns, who in addition to being a fellow UFC fighter, also fought in one championship. But he also has another brother, Frederick, the oldest one, who Gilbert has noted as being an even better talent than he and Herbert. They say, okay, I know he's the baddest from the three, the three brothers by by far. Just to become a Navy SEAL in Brazil, like we have, is not that popular in Brazil, called Grumac, but the Navy SEAL training is the worst. So when my brother passed to that, and I'm like, yeah, my brother is way tough. Aside from his siblings, financial struggles made it a tough upbringing for him in terms of his parents' financial situation despite their hard work. But as some people might say, epic things can indeed come from humble beginnings. Number nine, asthmatic bronchitis. Another crazy fact about Gilbert's past is the respiratory issues he suffered while growing up. We heard about the history about your asthmatic bron bronchitis. All, all, all my two brothers have, me and my brothers, we have, we all have. Herbert had a little bit, not much, but my was very, very, very bad. And beyond that, it's even worse than it sounds because he literally needed to be revived on multiple occasions. It's too hot and then we had in the night, it's too cold and it's gonna start raining the next day. Boom, I got sick. I couldn't breathe, period. I was... <laughs> the good thing is we had the hospital, a big one in, in my city that was right on my street. Like the end of the street was the hospital. Multiple times I went there to get adrenaline in my vein because I couldn't breathe no more. I was already like passing out. And when you combine this with his COVID diagnosis as one of the first high profile cases that led to Jorge Masvidal filling in for him on short notice in July, this could have been an unfortunate powder keg of diagnoses. But thankfully, this condition subsided well before then. When I moved 2007, I had a little bit, ate a little bit. I think 2009, it was gone. I never had it again. And after that was was over. I never had it. I never had it again. Unfortunately for him, though, this meant driving all the way from Las Vegas to Florida, and all of this happening because him and his coaches needed to keep themselves quarantined while going back, so they couldn't fly. Number eight, his introduction to the martial arts. So most of the time, when you think of someone learning how to fight in a traditional martial art, at least in an American sense, you might picture your parents signing you up for a class as a kid for self-defense, or by another means later on to keep yourself out of trouble. We're here to fuck shit up. For Gilbert and his family, it was a totally different set of circumstances onset by his family's financial woes. So I have my parents' house, and on top I have my daddy's sister, his family live there, my my daddy's older sister, so in the family. So we get kind of four houses on the same area. And the yard was huge. And my daddy wasn't doing good financial back then. So one guy 
One of the guys that, that was well known as a karate, he needs a place to teach. And then my daddy kind of, hey, I have a big yard right here. If you want to come and take a look, we, I, I can rent for you. You can teach right here. And then that's how we get started. That guy started teaching at my house, like at home. There's no way I could miss the class or do something. Yeah, I was a six. And it wasn't long after that he would be introduced to one of Brazil's national pastimes. And what age did you start jiu-jitsu then? How old were you? Jiu-jitsu started 12. Number seven, almost too broke to even practice. As Gilbert's life progressed into his teens, his aforementioned oldest brother Frederick moved on to the Brazilian Navy. And so it was Gilbert's time to now get to work and fill that void. As mentioned, the family didn't have much money and needed him to step up in that area. I believe it was 2003. When my older brother, he passed to, to, to the Navy, and then he was the one helping at home. You know, he was he had a job and then he was helping. And then when he left, I didn't know if I could, I if I could keep training or if I had to work. But this was also around the time that he was becoming very serious about BJJ. So in order to balance both, it meant that things were far from easy and just getting to the mats itself was a struggle. That I always going to the gym in my, in my school uniform. The training was at night. I studied, I had my school in the morning. The bus was like one real and like, I think 25 cents was that cheap. Like, and I say, you know what? I'm not, I cannot ask for my parents for money. First of all, they don't have. And if, if I ask, they're going to make, no, I'm, what are you doing? Why are you going to train? You got to go to work. And they're like, man, I cannot ask. I had a bike, but the bike was old and it was, was done. And I say, you know what? I'm going to walk. I don't care. I want to train. I want to get better. And I start going to walk. 50 minutes to go and 50 minutes to come back. That, that's how, how walk I was going. And that was 2003 to 2004 was when I decided to, you know, to take it serious. So I didn't bother me. It was hard a couple of times. Even as he gained sponsorships, it still could only cover so much back then. But then back then I had a sponsor that was kind of helping me out a little bit with the money. He was giving me food, $20, like around $20 a month. But that, but that back then was helping me a lot. Number six, his Brazilian jiu-jitsu resume. And so speaking of becoming a serious competitor in jiu-jitsu, his list of accolades are to say the least, staggering. He no doubt reached the highest highs in the sport with two IBJJF World Championship golds for no gi competition in 2010 and 2013 and also in the gi bracket in 2011. 2010 was definitely his best year in terms of achievements with four different golds across four different world-class organizations and another gold in 2009 in addition to various silver and bronze medals all throughout the years. He even has one going to 2015. All in all, it feels like way too much to try to list here. But either way, we are talking about top shelf talent before he ever made his way to MMA. It was this and his various ties to the MMA community that would inevitably lead to connecting with a legendary figure in the sport. Number five, his transition to MMA. So yeah, anytime you're heralded in a sport so inextricably tied to mixed martial arts, you've certainly got the attention of some notable scouts. Vito Belfort. And then right there, he started asking, hey, how did you do the, the tournament? I said, yeah, I won. I said, yeah, you won. Nice. You thinking about doing MMA? I said, yeah, that's my next step right now. And with a background in striking already, the transition was much more seamless than it would be for the average newcomer. Not to say there were no areas to work on. No, it was amazing to have Vitor as my mentor, especially in the beginning, because I didn't know how to throw a punch. He started 
teaching me a little bit and then uh and then right in the beginning say hey you 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 have a knockout power but what was pretty great was to hear his story of just how quickly everything progressed if i'm not wrong after two weeks of doing the the pro training just getting beat up uh one of the guys came to the gym and one of the promoters and said oh i have the amateur show and this guy just pulled out i need a 170 fighter a 170 pound fighter he's a main event spot and i say yeah for sure why not i beat the guy up so bad at the ground and pound and i went when i went to the arm bar i i popped his arm pretty bad like very bad and then that was my only amateur fight and hearing that straight from him no less you get a pretty rare depiction of what the amateur fight scene looks like behind the scenes was getting ready to the fight warming myself up and a lot of guys coming after get knocked out after you know like cut and a couple guys amateur guys they like they crazy warming up and a couple guys crying and other guys yelling before the fight that was crazy with a debut like that there just wasn't much reason not to go pro from his account in the immediate aftermath so within a year of his 2011 world bjj championship he was already making his pro debut to which he would earn a quick rnc in the first round which leads to our next entry his pre-UFC career. So things really took off very quickly as soon as he went pro. Starting with that first fight in 2012, Burns would manage to cap off his rookie year with four first round finishes and this strength of schedule would seemingly slow for two more wins. Of course, both again ending in the first round with his first ever KO being included in that. But he would also win another championship in IBJJF No Gi Worlds for 2013. No big deal, I guess. So it makes sense he fought a little less that year. And so as if a 6-0 pro record with all first round finishes was not enough to get him a call from the UFC, 2014 would see yet another first round finish, this time by TKO with just three seconds left to go. Fun fact, he's actually finished someone three times now at 457 of a round. Another fun fact is that although we only recently know him to be a welterweight, all of his fights at this point, minus one singular catchweight bout at 160, were all at welterweight. And so this trend would continue into three, his first five years in the UFC. This might actually be the most surprising thing for fans that perhaps haven't been paying attention to his career simply because A, it's a notoriously deep division and things can get lost in the shuffle, and B, his big breakout moment didn't happen all the way until 2020. With one previously mentioned exception at welterweight in his first fight, from 2014 to 2019, Burns was a mainstay of the UFC's lightweight division, and in that first fight is where he'd earn the first decision of his whole career. He'd have a strong start too with a 3-0 UFC record, even arguably getting his biggest name win at lightweight over Cowboy Oliveira before suffering the first loss of his career against Rasheen Magomedov in 2015 by decision. Ultimately, he'd have nine fights at 155 and one at catchweight when his opponent actually missed weight. Burns himself would never actually miss weight at 155. So then his record at lightweight was seven and three and the third being that infamous Dan Hooker loss by KO. But it does beg the question, why the change in weight class? Number two, his first title surge at 170 pounds. Just like anything else when it comes to the insane choice of whether to dehydrate yourself or not as presented in MMA on the scales, the choice to cut more or less is all based around the strength advantage one may gain the further they go down measured against the overall depletion you'll face in consequence on fight night. And for the first five years in the promotion, Gilbert explains why he chose the former. I always rely a lot on my strength going to lightweight. That was one of my excuses going to lightweight because I felt 
um, I was the strongest guy in that division. I hit hard. I could take a lot of punishment. So what finally changed that mindset for him? I just ended up getting a fight in April 27 in 2019. And then for that fight, the weight cut was very, very hard. Over seven hot baths of 20 minutes to make the weight. After that fight, I went to the little vacation with my family right here in Florida for the kids. We went to the kids with the, my, my two kids and my wife. And then there she she asked me to go up. Wait, I think it's time for you to change the vision. Yeah, I think that makes sense. So I went to, to, to speak to my nutritionist. When I was talking to him about it, I think I'm, I want to move up. He said, I think you should move up. That's why I want to talk to you too. And then, okay, boy, and I called all my coach. They all got super happy when I said that. They said, okay, finally. Okay, it's about time. Okay, now everyone was super happy. And he would have fought at least three times by mid-year if it wasn't for that positive COVID test. Even then, he could have fought more if he wasn't waiting on a promised title shot for December. He would, however, end up getting his shot at former teammate Kamaru Usman at UFC 258. And while he notably had success earlier on, the champion's composure and excellent jab ended it in the third. And you might have noticed that Gilbert was openly crying afterwards. This emotional tendency is something that he is actually well aware of. Yeah. yeah, today I'm way more emotional. I work with that a lot of my, my psychologist coach. We, we've been working for three years already. I work a lot on that and I can control a lot of my, my emotion because I am very emotional. And with that being said, you have to wonder if he would have been champion had those emotions been under control. But as it turns out, he doesn't just get worked up for his own fights. Number one, wanting revenge against Wonder Boy. Part of being a high-level athlete and a quality training partner is that many seek out your advice and ability to corner during fights in addition to competing yourself. But Burns doesn't take this responsibility lightly, openly admitting to how it affects him. One really great example of this was Cesar Fajaya, and of course his mentor Vitor Belfort. I don't like to corner a lot of guys. I did corner a couple guys, like especially when UFC was Vitor, Cesar. Fight when he lost. When Vito lost to White, my cry to I care a lot. So what does any of this have to do with Stephen Thompson? Well, you might remember Thompson telling us the story of his fight against Vicente Luque. He took every one of my shots and kept on coming forward. I dropped him a few times. I actually broke both my hands on his skull. That's how tough this guy. Now the guy had a big melon on him anyway. I just knew he was tough, but I know he was that tough. And Gilbert just so happened to be cornering him that night. He told me the story of actually wanting to fight him right then and there in the cage. I don't even like to say that, but I got very close to fight Wonder Boy when he got in the octagon. But I was just like, I was just so mad at the guy. Like, I want to beat this guy right now. Now Wonder Boy come to me and he say, "Hey." I'm a huge fan of you. You're doing great right now. And he want to shake my hand and he want to be so nice. And now we just like, I shook his hand and I look at his eyes like, <laughs> say nothing. If I said something, we'll fight. Like, I'm just, I didn't say nothing. I just shake, shook his hand, looking at his eyes like, so mad. And it's almost perfect too, because this was the ever memorable UFC 244 in 2019 and Burns had just made his move up only a couple months prior in August. But it shows just how important this fight is, and not just because it's his first fight after Usman and potential rebound fight, or the inverse, the opposite, a new title shot for Thompson.
I want to give another shout out to Coutinho for helping me develop this video. He was instrumental in getting this interview in place and even helped me out with a bunch of information on the background. You can follow him on Twitter at Luis underscore Coutinho. And then I also had a familiar face share the responsibilities of editing this video. You all know him well, Tomas Welsh. You can follow him on Instagram at Big Beat Visual. And finally, Gilbert Burns himself for taking the time to do this interview with us. Super awesome. Couldn't be a nicer guy. May the best man win on Saturday. Thanks for watching my list, guys. If you enjoyed the video, subscribe and like. We upload at least three videos per week about MMA. And it really helps us out when you do so. If I missed anything on this vid, let me know in the comments and feel free to follow me on Twitter at JasonTheHeart or follow the official channel account at OnPointMMA. Thanks for watching so much and I'll catch you on the next video.